Good afternoon. Welcome to this weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Travis Fain, one of WRAL's state government reporters. And I'm Brian Anderson, another one of WRAL's state government reporters. And Laura's out today, so Brian and I will take you through the week that was in North Carolina politics. Uh, I'll mention first the, the election, the primary elections, they were certified this week, so that's all good and official. There's all kind of like behind the scenes stuff that you don't necessarily think about that goes into election, uh, including they pull, well, I guess, random samples of ballots and they do a, a, a hand count versus the machine count. And what they found was that in 179 of 200 samples they looked at, the hand and machine counts were identical. Uh, the ones that were, they weren't identical, they were off just a little bit. And I wanted to read this because I think this is, I always say with voting, you know, if you do something 7 million times or however many people vote, you're going to see some weird stuff. Most of the minor discrepancies, the State Board of Elections said, can be attributed to human errors during the audit itself or to voters who circle bubbles instead of filling them in or mark the bubble too lightly so it can't be read by the machine. We have been using scantrons in this country for my entire life. Why are you circling? Don't circle. Than- You're not a circler, are you? Well, It's better than the hanging chads and like puncturing a ballot. So, I mean, it has improved over time, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm used to the Scantron days, my, myself in in high school and test taking where you have to circle every single thing perfectly. I would always be deathly afraid of coloring outside the lines too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, it does get a little tense in the voting booth. Um, (laughs) Also, this week, the January 6th hearings underway in Washington. Don't have a ton to say about those other than, you know, that they're certainly worth paying attention to. Uh, And, you know, I I mentioned it with the election being certified because there are two there there are two very different narratives in this country that, you know, one, elections are fine. And two, no, they're worth attacking the United States Capitol over uh, because uh, the president and others have lied to us and, and, and told us that there are quite there. There are major question marks and that elections are rigged. On that, on that note, there is a group that's in town this weekend in Raleigh that's bringing Cleta Mitchell to town and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson uh, will be speaking. It's like an election integrity training. Um, don't know much about it, uh, except that my expectation is that uh, you will hear the same kind of things uh, at that convention or, or they will hear the same kind of things at that convention that a lot of Republicans have heard. And that led to the January 6th attacks. And I, I got to say, on January 6th, there are North Carolina ties, particularly with Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who was previously a North Carolina congressman before jumping up to be Trump's chief of staff. And we're recording on a Friday, the first January 6th uh, primetime hearing was just on Thursday. And there was some scrutiny of, of Mark Meadows and his text messages that he had received, uh, him saying there's no there there when it comes to sort of these election fraud claims that were being made. So there are some North Carolina ties and a lot of this is going, a lot of scrutiny has been paid to to Mark Meadows. Yeah, and I think we'll continue to be on, on that and a number of other things too. Uh, also in DC, uh, Senator Tom Tillis seems to be right in the thick of the conversation happening up there on gun legislation, part of a group of senators that's trying to hammer out some sort of bipartisan uh, compromise on new measures. I don't think a ton, I, it doesn't look like they're talking about moving the needle uh, big time toward any more gun control. Uh, but Politico had an interesting piece uh, about how Republicans that you would expect to oppose this are fairly, 
kind of staying quiet and seeing where these negotiations go. So you could see something uh, move at the federal level. It looks like they, they, I think the kind of things they're talking about are incentives uh, to encourage states to provide juvenile crime records uh, to the background check database and also not a red flag law, but some sort of encouragement to states uh, to look at red flag laws where a judge uh, takes someone's gun away. Those have often been controversial. And in North Carolina, I know the Speaker of the House, Tim Moore, said just recently that he's not interested uh, in pursuing that. Yeah, and the other interesting thing to me is you have this open question of uh, assault-style weapons. Uh, Mitt Romney from Utah Senator said he would support raising the age from 18 to 21 for those particular types of, of weapons. But right now, it seems like Tillis is negotiating with Texas Senator Cornyn. Uh, and really the goal from the Republican side seems to be, we don't want to just get the 50 Democrats and 10 Republicans. We want late 60s, low 70s, just it needs strong bipartisan support in order to message this in an election year. Yeah. Uh, closer to home, you wrote about an interesting bill, the automatic expunction delay bill. Tell us, tell us how that works. That's, that's kind of complicated. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit messy. So basically how I try to liken it, I think a good metaphor is when you're on your computer desktop and you have a trash bin or a recycle bin on it, and let's say you take this file and you put it in your trash bin, well, it's still accessible unless you empty your trash, uh, so to speak, or you empty your recycle bin. So basically you have to move it to the trash and then you have to empty it in order for it to be permanently deleted. What's happening in North Carolina right now for cases where people are found innocent, their charges are dismissed in criminal cases, effectively at midnight in many of these local districts, these files are essentially permanently deleted and physical copies are subsequently destroyed as well. The problem is, let's say I am accused of let, let's just say someone is accused of uh, committing a, a crime and they are suspended for employment and they want to tell their employer, hey, I was found innocent. My charge was dismissed. The employer would probably like to see proof of that, which can be difficult if there's no record of it that's physically available. So essentially what this bill is trying to do is hit a one year pause button on this automatic expunction statewide or just state program here, basically and have district attorneys, uh, local court administration officials get in a room together to try and find a, a better solution. And the stick is, if it comes back a year later and we have no solution, then the current system that everyone's unhappy with is gonna be back in place. Yeah, and this ties back, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but to a reform bill that would expunge various minor crimes uh, to help people clear up their records and, and not face repercussions down the road from jobs and whatnot. And they just, they ran into some technical problem uh, that they're trying to build themselves time to fix. Pat Bill passed the Senate that you just talked about, passed the Senate unanimously, I believe, and is on to the House. Yes. And the other thing to, to mention about that is that uh, it's got clear, strong bipartisan support. Um, and the it would basically, this pause would happen from August of 2022 to August of 2023. And the estimated number of people to be affected in that time frame is around 10,000 people, according to Senator Britt, an author of that proposal who I spoke with. I'll mention briefly, uh, 
talked to Governor Roy Cooper on Tuesday uh, after the council state meeting. He typically holds a little gaggle with press. He said none of this is a surprise that he supports the PFOS bill, the representative Ted Davis's PFOS bill, which would stick companies that create these chemicals that pollute the water with the bill to clean up the water as opposed to requiring, I mean, right now I think Brunswick County is working on a big time system that's gonna raise water prices. Uh, New Hanover County too, I believe. I, I, I'm not sure all the government's involved, but it's down at the mouth of the Cape Fear River near the coast. Uh, where the Kimors plant, which is in Cumberland County, has kind of put these chemicals into the into the ground and into the water, uh, and it's been a big problem. So the governor supports that bill. I don't think that's moving. Uh, we've it's had a hearing, but doesn't seem yeah, to be moving. Just discussion only, no voting yet so far. Tim Moore told reporters a while back that he thinks it's more appropriate for a long session, probably not something to cram in in the coming weeks. So. That could be on the horizon for, for 2023, perhaps, but it's a bill for, for PFOS companies, but really it's just code for cracking down on Camores, just this one company that produces this produced these chemicals and had it get into the Cape Fear River. So it also would uh, take effect retroactively to 2017, I believe. So it's really trying to address some of these current rate hikes that customers are facing as a result of uh, some past pollution. Yeah, these chemicals are extremely difficult to get out of the water. You can't- Whatever chemicals. Yeah. Uh, Governor also said he supports uh, the Medicaid expansion bill 149. No surprise there, but it had a whole bunch of other stuff in it. Uh, and uh, he did say he supports that. Which brings me to Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Uh, I had a story on Monday. I So the Lieutenant Governor, maybe not every Sunday, but most Sundays, many Sundays, is in a church pulpit somewhere in the state. Uh, oftentimes a pretty conservative church will invite him to speak. Uh, and he, his sermons, you know, 30, 40 minutes, I would encourage people to watch one of those speeches. Just to forget about what I write about it or Brian writes about it. Just go to YouTube and type in Mark Robinson Church, spend 30 minutes watching one of these speeches. We focused largely the coverage on what he said about women. He said that God called men to lead. And then he went on to say that, you know, God would have women do their thing, some things. But when it was time to fight Goliath, it was David, not Davido. When it was time to lead the Israelites out of Israel or in, out of Egypt, I should say, it was Daddy Moses, not Mama Moses. Uh, and so there was some blowback on that. He wouldn't engage with us on that as, as he so often does not. He put out a Twitter video basically saying, you know, my mother was a great hero and a great leader. Of course, women can be leaders and, and suggesting that he was speaking to the men and asking them to step up. Uh, you know, I, I would just say to any politicians out there that want some free consulting, if you want to walk something back, feel free to actually call the reporter back before the story hits instead of waiting 24 hours and putting out a Twitter video. Yeah, I mean, y'all do you, but everybody's got my number. Um, have you? How many of these speeches have you watched, Brian? I, I've watched a lot. I've seen social media posts. I think my immediate reaction was not, I don't think anyone who follows the Lieutenant Governor closely would say they're surprised by what they see and hear. Like I could, I could rattle off a dozen questionable Facebook posts from the past that are on on similar type of messaging and similar issues. And I, I think he just has such a track record of these questionable comments. Uh, one thing that I, I would say from that that video that he did put out, 
Uh, he also encouraged reporters to focus on the more important problems of the day, you know, like Ukraine. So maybe that's an effort to get Travis Bain to to be deported to a different country, perhaps to cover something different. <laughs> uh, but there's there's also he also grew up in a, a single parent household. Really, his his dad had reportedly had these alcohol issues, uh, died when Robinson was at a very young age. And there were lots of kids, I think around 10 in that family. So, I mean, this is someone who grew up with a strong woman in their life, in his life, and was really just an instrumental person. Um, so the fact that you're making these comments of women can't lead, that that sort of had raised some questions even from people who know him closely who just say that look at your lived experience you know and a lived experience that includes massive childhood trauma in that same speech he spoke about and he's he said this before seeing his mother and father fight with a claw hammer bloodying each other all through the house he grew up in greensboro and he said he would go to downtown greensboro and he would see business people going to and fro and he just he felt like you know he was less less human than them because of the way he grew up. So he's got a book coming out, uh, autobiography coming out in September. He said that'll, I, I'm sure, be required reading for many of us. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> running for governor in 2024 as his attorney general, Josh Stein. I don't know of anyone else running for governor in 2024. If you're running for governor in 2024, give me a call. Um, I asked Tim Moore, Speaker of the House Tim Moore and Representative Robert Reeves, the House Minority Leader, when I had them on On the Record taped last Friday, if either of them would run. They both kind of sidestepped the question, but uh, the answer seemed to be closer to no than, uh, than yes for both of them. So, I mean, you never say never in this game, but it just looks like things are shaping up uh, for, for Robinson v. Stein, although I imagine someone will crop up on one or both both sides there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mark Walker, feel free to give me a call back. He was a, a U.S. Senate candidate, and there's questions of what he might run for. Run yeah, for what, what his political future will be interesting. He has said he won't run for governor. Lieutenant governor, Congress, we have we might have new redistricting because we we haven't had enough redistricting in the past year we might have more in november or december right travis yeah that's right one of the things the speaker said uh when we had him for on the record which ran you know th this past weekend uh, was that he may bring everybody back in december for a redistricting session to redraw just the congressional map uh no surprise that they're going to redraw the congressional map the the map that's in place now was always considered a temporary probably one cycle map. What's interesting is that it might be a lame duck session. The Senate, uh, through a spokesperson, said, nah, yeah, you slow your roll on that. So I don't think that decision has been made. I don't know what will happen there. But certainly, people should not be surprised if they come back into session later this year, uh, particularly if they come back into session after the November elections, when we know what the next General Assembly will look like. And I mean, really, the, the the good money is probably right now on the General Assembly of next year looking very much like this one. Republicans in the majority, probably not a veto-proof majority. But, uh, you know, we got to have that election first to find out. Yeah, very a pretty favorable state Senate map, a more tight state House map, and the congressional map, it, it seems like it could go 8-6 Republican, could be 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, those are just the likeliest outcomes. Yeah, we shall see. Um, 
medical debt bill. That's uh, something that uh, Treasurer Dale Folwell has been pushing for a while. Got some discussion this week at the state legislature. It would push hospitals to do more for people who can't afford their health care. Uh, it would uh, keep them, it, it would limit the way they could come after you uh, trying to collect the money that you owe. Folwell has said many times it feels like hospitals weaponize medical debt and push patients toward medical credit cards with high interest rates. The hospital system says, you know, that's not a fair characterization that they abide by IRS rules. But I, I think the, the, the 30,000 foot view here is, if you don't know, is that Treasury Dale Folwell has been butting heads with the hospitals and with the insurance companies uh, for some time now on medical pricing, medical transparency of, of prices. And this is kind of the latest front in, in that push. It uh, does not look like that bill, uh, which is House Bill 1039, uh, Representative Goodwin is carrying it, will move this session, but it, it will continue to be something that gets discussed. I'll also note that the Treasurer struck a deal with Blue Cross Blue Shield, I read this week, regarding transparency in the state health plan he'd been after. Uh, more information, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, largest insurer in the state, uh, they run the state health plan through a contract and the state health plan wants to know more about how they go about negotiating with hospitals on the prices that are ultimately paid and what those prices are. And of course, Blue Cross Blue Shield is willing to give some information, but there's a competitive advantage that they have in negotiating with these hospitals, they don't want all that information out for competitors to see. So a, a deal has been struck on an issue that Falwell and Blue Cross Blue Shield have been fighting over for a few years now. And not the only healthcare barrier, there's a, a sort of a light Medicaid expansion bill that's also being floated, which would uh, give statewide healthcare coverage to roughly 11,000 foster care children in the state. That's another healthcare item that's, that's also being discussed and evaluated right now. I'm not sure what the opposition would be to, to giving, ex, ensuring there's extra protection and coverage for foster care children, but maybe if it has the word Medicaid expansion, that might prevent it from getting to the governor in the state house. Well, and there are some entities uh, that do that sort of work that don't operate statewide. Uh, they're more regional in nature and they're pushing back against that bill. Uh, arguing that they ought to have a chance to continue offering these services to foster kids. But the argument against that, uh, as you wrote about earlier this week, is that foster kids have to move around by, you know, by their nature. If they're going to another family member or there's not a family close by, you know, so how do you help them? A, a lot of times right now, foster parents say that they end up driving significant distances so the kid can see the same doctor. Uh, or because they have to, because only certain services are covered in certain geographies, and if the family, if the kid has to move around the state, so it's a that's the problem that they're trying to address. The thing is, I think some uh, some vendors are going to be left out in that process. Sure, sure, sure. Also passing uh, this week, I think it passed the Senate uh, increase for uh, retail theft uh, penalties. This is a, an attempt to crack down on organized crime, organized retail theft, where you send a bunch of people into a store to steal various things and you sell it on eBay. So that bill has moved through the Senate. I think that moved uh, through the Senate Monday evening and the House has already passed something similar. I think we expect that to move right on through. And medical marijuana, that went through the Senate on Monday evening and is waiting for action in the House. 
I, I'm not aware of any calculus changing on the medical marijuana bill, Brian, where the House is basically saying we're going to sit on that for a while, uh, probably not pass it this, this, this short session. I don't think there's anything new there. Yeah, there's two different bills. One is uh, medical marijuana with more than a dozen qualifying debilitating medical conditions, glaucoma, chronic pain being two that are not among them uh, that are of note. That bill passed the Senate 3510, stuck in the House. Uh, it got referred to rules, but I haven't seen a hearing for the House Rules Committee taking it up. Uh, it's probably going to be stuck there for, for maybe the entire month. Uh, Tim Moore said, you know, probably doesn't fit into this session. Uh, he personally opposes the bill, which is not a good sign if you want to get it onto the House floor to have the Speaker oppose it. Uh, the other bill that did pass the House, uh, I think on a 92-9 vote, uh, and then it cleared the Senate unanimously, so it's in front of Cooper, is Senate Bill 448. And what that bill is doing is basically legalizing medicinal marijuana uh, prescription drug use if the federal government does first. Uh, it would first have to go, but it comes with a number of caveats. First, the FDA has to approve it. The DEA has to change its uh, drug schedule classifications. Then this, uh, this commission in North Carolina would have to agree not to oppose it. So you really need these three things to fall into place before a prescription drug is legal in North Carolina. Uh, the other pushback to it has been from uh, highly uh, outspoken uh, state representative with Larry Pittman. He said this would be sort of a stepping stone to legalization and create this basically backdoor legalization. The bill's on Cooper's desk. Cooper says, uh, well, Cooper's office says that the governor supports uh, medical marijuana expansion. So he sounds like he's likely to sign this bill. Uh, so that's what's on the horizon. That's what's being done and also what's not being done. Right, right. I, that's about, about all I've got on my list for this week. I got a couple of quick hitters that are looking forward to next week. Anything else uh, from this week? No. All right. I will mention a couple of things real quickly then. I recommend to you a Triangle Business Journal piece by Lauren. And I, I forgive me, Lauren, I may not know how to pronounce your name, On Sorge. She wrote a lengthy piece about how the Greg Lindbergh fiasco is affecting people who invested their life savings in many cases in his various insurance companies, which are all tied up in legal wrangling and the rehabilitation process had been for years. So, I mean, imagine giving your life savings to a company that says, oh, we guarantee this, this, this rate of return. And then boom, the guy who built the businesses is in federal prison for bribery and your investment, your life savings is tied up in all this and you don't know if you're gonna get it or not. So I definitely recommend that Triangle Business Journal piece drop today. Couple of things Tim Moore told uh, Laura Leslie, I believe Thursday might've been Wednesday. Uh, they're getting close on the budget. Aren't they always getting close on the budget? I mean, they're never getting far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, they say, uh, the speaker says that they're going to be meeting with the Senate next week go through, hammer out some differences. Uh, on the capital budget, he said they're going to put something like an extra $250 million into the capital budget for projects already approved. So projects that have previously been in the budget, but because of inflation, uh, interest rate increases, they need more money to do what they'd already planned to do. He put that ballpark, ballpark, 250 million. He also said the parental rights bill, that's the bill uh, that deals with what you can and can't say about LGBTQ families. 
uh, in classrooms. It's the one that requires teachers. If a kid says, hey, I want to change my pronouns to, to immediately tell the, the, the child's parents. Um, that bill, which has been controversial and cleared the Senate, uh, he said that hasn't the in the House that House Republicans have not caucused that bill and discussed it. That's interesting because that's a high profile bill uh, that everybody knows about. But so we don't know quite what the House will do on that, even though we kind of expect it to move forward. Next week, the House is going to meet in the old Capitol. I don't think the Senate is doing that. That's on Tuesday. I don't quite know what else to expect next week. Uh, but, you know, a lot of a lot of little things while we wait on the budget, probably, Brian. Yeah, no voting on Monday, uh, probably no voting in the House on, on Tuesday, uh, but really budget talks seem to be the focus here for the coming days and who knows, maybe weeks and never, we'll see. We will certainly keep an eye on that and get everybody called up next week. Uh, unless you got anything else, Brian, I think we have wrapped up the wrap this week. Busy week, busy week. All right, thank you everybody for your attention. I know we went a little long today. Uh, but we hope you have a nice weekend.